Well, good morning. Wasn't that great? We're going to see something very similar. Uh, today we're, we're kicking off uh, the study of First and Second Thessalonians, but I want you to turn to Acts chapter 17 in your Bibles, if you would. And uh, we're going to look at uh, this first chapter of, of First Thessalonians, but we want to give you some historical background first. So Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 4, says this. Now when they had traveled through Amphibolus and Apollonina, and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ, or the Messiah, had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you, is the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the message of the gospel. We thank you for the truth that you sent your son to die for our sins that we might be forgiven. We thank you for the testimonies of these young lives who have come to realize the, the truth of, that, of the scriptures and have been persuaded and have put their faith in the Lord Jesus. We ask your blessing on them. And now we ask your blessing on us because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In, in Acts, we're, we're looking, uh, in the book of Acts, uh, Christianity began down here in Jerusalem after the Lord died and the gospel was preached and in Samaria. And then there was a group of, of Gentiles in, in Antioch who had believed. And, and, Paul, and si uh, Paul and Barnabas went out on the first missionary journey. They went through Crete and then up here in the area of Lystra, Derby, and Antioch, shared the good news of Jesus Christ, salvation through Jesus Christ. People got saved and, and churches were started and they came back to Antioch. Um, word reached Paul that there were some false teachers going saying that you need to become a Jew, uh, be circumcised, obey the Old Testament to be a full-fledged Christian. And so he wrote the book of Galatians back to those churches to encourage them. Uh, and later they called a big meeting down in Jerusalem called the Council of Jerusalem where uh, the apostles looked at it and said, no, faith in Jesus Christ is enough to save. And so Paul went back to Antioch and decided to go revisit these churches, uh, but there was an argument between him and Barnabas, so he went with Silas and he came and he revisited these churches carrying a letter from the Council of Jerusalem uh, telling them that faith in Christ was enough. And then they decided to go, and this is a very populated area. They wanted to go to Asia, but the Spirit of God uh, prohibited them. And so they thought they'd go up to Bithynia, uh, another Roman province. But again, the Spirit of God uh, said no. And so they came to Troas, and Paul had a, a dream that there was a man from uh, Macedonia, another Roman province, calling him, come up and share the gospel with us. And taking this as God's leading, they set sail from Troas to Neapolis, which was the port 
for the city of Philippi. They went to Philippi, preached the gospel there. A church was started, and they walked the Ignatian Way. way. It was the major Roman road that went from Rome all the way over uh, to modern-day Turkey, and they came to Thessalonica here on the coast. And so they preached uh, the gospel in Thessalonica. And uh, Paul went into the synagogue, as we read, and shared for three Sundays. Uh, I wanted to just share briefly about the synagogue. The synagogue was a Jewish community center and also the center where the word of God was read and shared and taught. Uh, it, it came during the time when the temple had been destroyed back in the Old Testament and, and the Jews were scattered throughout the Persian Empire. And the synagogue service began with a thanksgiving where they would um, read the Shema. The Shema said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord with all uh, your soul, your heart, your soul, and your might. And then they would go over the blessings of God, maybe from Psalm 103 or some other passage. Then they would pray, and uh, the, the, commit, the uh, congregation at the end would say amen. The word amen means that's the truth or I agree. And so they would pray. And then they would have a reading from the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. They would read it in Hebrew, and then they would translate it into the common tongue, wherever they were. Probably in Thessalonica, it would be Greek. Then they would read uh, an excerpt from the prophets uh, and then in Hebrew, and then again in the common tongue. And then they would have a sermon or a word of ex- exhortation to the group. It would follow by, if there was a priest there, they would have a benediction. Uh, the benediction in the Old Testament from the priest was, the Lord bless and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you, the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. If there was no priest to give the priestly benediction, then they would have a closing prayer. One of the things that marked the synagogue was it was called uh, freedom of the synagogue. And what this meant was the ruler of the synagogue could choose anyone to give that sermon. And so this is what allowed Paul to come into these synagogues because he had been trained by Gamaliel in Jerusalem, one of the leading rabbis of the day, And he would be out here in these small communities uh, that we saw, and they would not have access to um, teachers. And so here comes a man from Jerusalem. He's been taught by Gamaliel. They would give Paul the opportunity. And and God used that to take the gospel into uh, the Jewish synagogues. I remember traveling one time and I was visiting a little church between camps that I went to, and uh, I hadn't told them I was coming, and I just came, and, and one of the elders uh, chewed me out afterwards saying, why didn't you tell us? We would have had you speak. And I said, I didn't come to speak. I just came to have fellowship. He said, yes, but they hear me all the time, and everybody's going to say, why didn't you have him speak? And uh, well, that's kind of the situation with the freedom of the synagogue. But God used it, and look what he did there in Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 2, Paul, according to custom, went and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Messiah had to suffer and rise again from the dead, that the gospel was God's plan from the very beginning. Maybe from the Pentateuch, he talked about how Abraham off, almost offered his son, but God 
provided a ram, but God had promised a lamb, and Jesus was the lamb of God. And maybe over to Isaiah 53, where it talks about the, the sufferings of Jesus Christ are prophesied. And so Paul took that opportunity to preach, and people, people got saved. Um, but look at verse 5, if you're in Acts 17. But the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some of the wicked men from the marketplace formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. And they stirred up the crowd and the, and the city officials who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians, said that the preaching of the Messiah being crucified uh, was to the Jews a stumbling block. The idea that their victorious coming king would be crucified and, and be cursed by hanging on a tree um, so upset them. And so Paul's there and he preaches in the synagogue telling them about how Jesus Christ has died and this is the plan of God to save them from their sins. And the Jews are enraged and, and so they form a riot and they drive Paul out of Thessalonica. And I notice uh, verse 10, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. That's 50 miles away. Look down to verse 13. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. What would it take for you to walk to Cedar Rapids? Walk to Cedar Rapids to stop something from being preached in Cedar Rapids. The Jews of Thessalonica walked almost 50 miles to stop Paul from preaching. Now imagine you're a Christian living in Thessalonica, and Paul's left, and he's left you the job of evangelizing the city. And they are so anti the gospel that they are willing to walk 50 miles to stop it happening some other place. What are they willing to do to you to keep you from preaching the gospel. And so there's two themes that we're gonna find through the book of First and Second Thessalonians. The first is suffering. And the second is the coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming of Jesus Christ. And the second coming of Jesus Christ has two aspects to it. And as you read, as we go through and we see each one of these comings mentioned in each chapter, uh, you have to decide, is he referring to the rapture? The rapture is where Jesus returns in the air for those who have believed on him. Uh, you can read about that in great detail in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, beginning verse um, 13. Jesus Christ is coming back, and in the twinkling of an eye, every believer that knows him is going to be gone. And then, at the end of a period of judgment by God on this world, Jesus Christ is gonna come in the revelation where every eye will see him. And he's gonna come back to bring God's judgment on this world and reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So these are the two comings of Jesus Christ that are mentioned in the book of 
of 1 Thessalonians. So if you would turn to 1 Thessalonians, we're going to look at the first chapter this morning. Verse 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ancient letters uh, kind of like this idea. It started with who wrote the letter. That way you could discard the junk mail without having to read anything else. Our letters, dear uh, Bob, and then you come all the way, you have to read look at the end to find out that it came from me. But they could see right away who was writing to them. It's Paul and Silas and Timothy, these men who had brought the gospel to Thessalonica. And so he writes this letter to them, and he refers to them to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a little unusual. Later he'll, he'll say to the church that's in Ephesus, this is written a little differently because this is one of the churches in the beginning, and the word church simply means an assembly of people. And so to, to make clear that this is an assembly of people who have trusted in Jesus Christ, uh, he puts this to the, the assembly of the Thessalonians um, who are in relationship, who are in God our Father and in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this sets this assembly apart as different from any other gathering of people. And then he gives the greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This really is a blessing. Um, you see that in 1 Peter chapter 2 where Peter says, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Paul is saying, I want you to experience God's grace and peace. Grace always is first. If you do not experience the grace of God in salvation, we heard the verse, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. If you don't receive the graces, the gift of God of salvation, you'll never have peace with God. And if you, as a Christian, do not access the grace of God in your life, you're not going to have the peace of God in your life. So grace always precedes peace. Paul begins a long thanksgiving. In fact, this whole book is, is a thanksgiving. Um, and the whole first chapter is, is one thanksgiving. In chapter 2, verse 13, he's actually going to have a second um, thanksgiving for the Thessalonians. And so he begins talking about the, the manner of thanksgiving. Uh, verse 3, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as it is only fit. Oh, I'm in Second Thessalonians. That would help. Sorry. Uh, verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Paul says, when, when Silas and Timothy and I get together at the beginning of the day, have our little devotion session, and we begin to pray, and we pray for Philippi, we pray for Lystra and Derby and Iconium, and we pray for you. You know what we find ourselves doing? We find ourselves thanking God for you. As we think of our memories of you, as we think of the, the little church there, we are so thankful for you. Every time we pray, I'm sure individual Christians came to mind and events came to mind. 
Um, he talks about the circumstances of their thanksgiving. Verse 3, constantly bearing in mind or constantly remembering. Again and again, memories about the Thessalonian believers come to mind. Um, and he sums it up in three ways. He says, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith or your work resulting from faith. Many commentators connect this with down in verse 9. For they themselves had report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols. He says, when we think about you, we think about how you came to faith. Those of you who were Gentiles and worshipped idols, you turned from, from your idols to, to the living God. This work that God did in your life uh, for, by your faith. Um, back in um, the book of Acts, you remember they came before the authorities and they said to the authorities, these people have upset the whole world. And, and that word means to unsettle. Uh, the message paraphrase puts it this way. They've attacked everything we hold dear. One commentator writes that this is one of the greatest compliments which has ever been paid to Christianity. The Jews had not the slightest doubt that Christianity was a supremely effective thing. Lives were changed. Even societies were changed by faith in Jesus Christ. See, faith in Jesus Christ shows itself. It shows itself in a desire for kids. Sometimes it's very hard for kids to stand in front of a group this size and share how they got saved and get baptized. But faith shows itself in the way they live. And so this work of faith, this, this evidence that they truly have come to Jesus Christ. And he goes on, and he talks about your labor of love, or your labor prompted by love. And again, down in verse 9, it says to serve a living and true God. The word for labor here is one that emphasizes the idea of wearisome toil. The lives of the Thessalonian believers were marked by service for God, spreading the gospel, living lives of purity, caring for one another. And we're going to see this as we go through First and Second Thessalonians. And it's all done in a hostile environment. It's hard work. Hard work to share the gospel, especially when people are hostile and in opposition. It's hard work to care for other people, to, to live lives of purity in a very impure society. But Jesus Christ produced that in their lives. And Paul's so thankful for these Thessalonians and the changes in their lives. And then he says, um, and your, the steadfastness or the endurance um, inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. They are waiting for his son from heaven, verse 11 told us. Um, endurance has the idea of bearing patiently with bad circumstances because of a confident hope Jesus is coming again. They were in a hotbed of persecution and opposition. What gave them the power to keep on keeping on? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And he's going to reward those who live for him. 
And so they're looking for Jesus to come. And then there's the cause of their thanksgiving. What, what caused Paul really to give thanks? Well, there was this evidence, the circumstances surrounding it. But he says in verse 4, Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. And the first is, is this evidence of God working. This word brethren is going to be used 15 times in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Paul says, God's brought you into the family of God. You're beloved of God. How do I know that? His choice of you. We don't need to be afraid of saying God sovereignly chooses. Because there's two truths in the word of God. One is God sovereignly chooses, and the other is whosoever will may come. And we don't diminish one by raising the other. We hold both truths as truths in the word of God, even though they seem to be incompatible. You say, well, how can you do that? Well, when I was a kid, I was told parallel lines are always parallel. They never meet. Well, now mathematicians have proved. I actually asked a friend of mine who has a PhD in math. I said, I hear uh, mathematicians say parallel lines meet in eternity. He says, no, they don't say that. They proved it mathematically. I said, how can two parallel lines meet? He says, we've proved it in infinity. In the mind of God, God says, listen, I chose, and anybody can come. And those are the two truths, and we hold on to them, even though they seem incompatible. But Paul says, I rejoice because I see God working in your lives. He goes on in verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. He said, I saw the power of the Spirit of God convicting you of sin, convicting you of what are you going to do when you stand in the presence of a holy God. And I know it wasn't because I just put together a super fabulous sermon and you were all persuaded. Listen, if you're persuaded by the preacher, you'll lose it. But if you're persuaded by the Spirit of God that you're a lost sinner who needs a Savior, that'll never let go of you. And Paul said, I saw that. The Spirit of God worked in your hearts and minds, drawing you to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he said, um, you had a full conviction that didn't come from mere words. And he goes on, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. He said, God worked in our lives too so that, that we lived it out. And God was working in our lives to give us such a love and a passion for you. And, and so he says, listen, um, by the power of the Spirit, the gospel entered into the hearts and minds of the Thessalonians. And they had been saved. And from their belief, beautiful lives had blossomed. And so Paul is rejoicing in this, this whole idea of how God worked in their lives to touch the lives of the Thessalonians. He's going to pick up again in chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Next week we have a special 
set of meetings about creationism, and then two weeks from now we'll be looking at that passage. And Paul's going to lay out the work that God had done in their lives. And then Paul sees the effect of God's working, the transformed lives of the Thessalonians. Look at verse 6. For you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation in the joy of the Holy Spirit. He says, you became imitators. It's the word mimic. You, you began to act like Paul and Silas and Timothy. You began to value what they valued. You began to, to look at things the way Paul and Silas and Timothy looked at it. We, we saw that, didn't we? I talked to my mom, or my mom had talked to me about the Lord Jesus. And, and because of, of the actions of the parents, because of what was laid out by the parents, the, the children came to faith, and, and the children will mimic their parents' faith. But it doesn't stop there. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Eventually, you, you point them beyond yourself to the Lord. That's the one you you ultimately follow. But, but they need those, those examples in their lives to see it being lived out. And, and Paul says, you saw it in our lives. And so you began mimicking us. You began imitating our faith and how we lived. And he gives a specific example. Having received the word in much tribulation with joy of the Holy Spirit. You didn't let the pressure on you intimidate you. Does that remind you of what happened in Philippi? Paul and Barnabas are beaten with rods and they're sitting in the stocks in the inner prison singing praises to God and rejoicing. And now Paul sees that same attitude in these Christians. They're not discouraged. They're rejoicing in the Lord. They're rejoicing that God has worked in their lives and it's evident to people around. Even though it causes them uh, persecution. Verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. It, that would be like saying you became an example to the whole state of Iowa and the state of Minnesota. Everywhere they're talking about these Christians in Thessalonica. This, this revolution in lives that had happened this unsettling of lives that had happened was being spoken about everywhere because of the witness of the Thessalonians. Look at verse 8. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith towards God's gone forth, so we have no need to say anything. The church and their changed lives became a megaphone for the gospel. These eight people who were baptized, they will go places I'll never go. And Lord willing, there'll be a megaphone for the gospel in those places. I remember talking to someone one time, and he said, it was back when we were down in the Avenue Gospel Chapel, and uh, he said, where do you go? I said, I go down to the Amherst Gospel Chapel. He said, I've never heard of it. And I said, well, <laughs> it's okay. He said, well, who goes there? I said, well, Henry Anderson will go there. Oh, Bob Smith goes there. Oh, 
I started naming several people. He said, all those people go to that place? He had heard of the people. He hadn't heard of the building. We're okay with that. Okay? What we want them to do is hear of your faith in the Lord Jesus. So that you're Bethany's megaphone in the community. You're the one going out and by life and word being a megaphone for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether they ever put it together with Bethany, that's neither here nor there. But God wants us to be a megaphone for the gospel. And so it went out. And what is the message? What is the report that, that went out? I'm going to go back. Look at verse 9. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, how you turned from idols to serve a living and true God. They turned from idols. Now, we're familiar with idols, that there were temples and they had statues that represented different kinds of gods. But you know what idols really are? Idols are what you're putting your trust in. And there are lots of false things that people put their trust in. You know how it's revealed? By what they say. You go out and you talk to someone and you say, how are you going to get to heaven? I go to such and such a church. Well, what are they trusting in? They're trusting in their church. Churches are wonderful places. That's where you hear about Jesus the Savior. But there's not a church, including this one, that can guarantee you heaven. It's only through Jesus Christ. Or you talk to someone and they'll say, well, I try to live by, by the golden rule. Well, Jesus said that. It's a wonderful thing to do. But it won't get you to heaven. It won't get you to heaven. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. People are trusting in their good deeds. People are trusting in their church. People are trusting in they live a good life. They try to live a moral life. And there were people in Thessalonica who were hanging on to these things. This is what they were trusting in when they meet the living God. And they let go of those things. And they turned from those things. And they turned to Jesus Christ. And that's what salvation is. When you realize nothing except Jesus alone can get you to heaven. And that's what it is. And that's what happened in Thessalonica. That's what happened you heard again and again and again from these young hearts. And then it, it proved itself in their lives to serve the living and true God. Real salvation is not just being saved from hell. It's about being saved to serve God. To let him change your life. To let him use you in the lives of other people. To carry the message of his son to other people. And so it was revealed in their lives. And then notice what it says. And to wait for his son from heaven. This word waits found only here in the New Testament. It means to wait up for. It has the idea of expectation. Of confidence. I'll give you a, an example. The dog before we had, the dog we have right now, learned that if we went through the uh, McDonald's drive-thru, she was going to get ice cream. 
So the minute we pulled into the McDonald's drive-thru, her head was out my window. And if there were cars ahead of us, she was barking. Get out of the way, there's ice cream coming. There was a consuming desire to get what was coming. And that's what wait up means. There's a consuming, confident desire for Jesus to come. And that's what they were doing. And it says, whom he raised from the dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if our faith is in Christ alone and it isn't true, we have no plan B. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is true and it guarantees that our message is true. And then he says, who rescues us from the wrath to come. The view here is the rapture where Christ will rescue us from the coming of God's wrath. There's going to come a period of time, sometimes referred to as the great tribulation, when God is going to bring wrath on this planet because of its disobedience to the gospel, its rejection of the gospel, and because of their sin. And I'm never going to see that because Jesus is coming to take me out of this planet. Now, he saved me from the ultimate wrath, the lake of fire. But in, in this particular place, he's, he's talking about this day of judgment when Jesus comes to bring God's righteousness to planet Earth. Well, as we leave this first chapter, what, what should we gain from it? What makes a good church? Well, someone say, well, it's big. Someone else will say, well, it has lots of programs. Someone else will say, well, the speaking's good or the, or the music's good. What makes a good church? Well, this is what God says makes a good church out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. They're clear in their understanding of the gospel. They're clear in what they understand saves. Jesus Christ alone and faith in him. Turning from everything else that you can trust in and turning to the Lord Jesus and calling to the Lord Jesus for salvation as we heard again and again. Secondly, they're committed to obedient service and loving one another. We'll see that in the rest of the book of Thessalonians. Number three, they counted the cost and considered Christ worth it. They knew <laughs> when they saw him chase Paul out of town, when they saw him walk 50 miles to chase him out of another town, they knew they were going to face persecution and hostility and opposition. And they chose to live for Christ because Christ is worth it. Thirdly, they courageously called out the message of the gospel. People don't like to hear the gospel. People don't like to hear that they're not good enough to get to heaven on their own. They don't like to hear, I remember talking to my, my father-in-law, and he would say, why do you think I'm so wicked? And I said, I don't think you're so wicked. We're all that bad. There's not a single one of us. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. We all need a savior. And, and that meets opposition. And then there's a confident, consuming desire for Christ's return.
Here's the church that Paul says, you are an example to all the other believers in all of Greece because this is the kind of church. As you look at that list, is that list your life? Is that list this place? Because that's the heart of God. If you're here this morning and you don't have Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there's going to come a day when death is going to knock at your door. I was at the dog park yesterday. I, mo I mostly know the dog's names, not the, the people's names. But there's one guy that I know there, and we walk and talk. And I said, why? You look sad. What's wrong? He said, I had a 97-year-old uncle. I call him every Sunday afternoon to see how he's doing. He got his driver's license. We all said, don't do it, don't do it. His county wouldn't give it to him. He went to another county, got a driver's license. And he said yesterday he pulled out and didn't see a car coming. And he died. And he's in eternity. I don't know the man. I don't know where he, where he is. But someday, maybe in an accident, maybe in an illness, maybe totally unexpected, every one of us is going to enter eternity. What's over here that you're trusting in? God says there's one thing that brings forgiveness of sins. It's my son. And if you have some questions about that, a number of us would, would be glad to share with you. I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. Not because I'm better. <laughs> Probably worse than a lot. But my sins are forgiven. God remembers them no more. He see Jesus Christ took my sins on his own body, on the cross, paid my debt, said, paid for, finished. And I have put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I'm safe for eternity. As you heard person after person after person as God using his people as megaphones wants to reach your ear, reach your heart, and save you from a lost eternity. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that your heart sent the Lord Jesus to die for our sins. Your heart has built up churches to share the message of your son that you've changed lives as, as we heard the testimonies this morning that you're bringing people to your son and forgiving their sins and save them from a lost eternity lord use us to be your megaphone if we know you if there's someone here that doesn't know you we pray that that conviction of the holy spirit might strike their lives and bring them to your son because we ask it in Jesus' name. And we thank you for the food that's been provided. We ask your blessing as we meet together and celebrate um, these who have taken that step of saying to the world, Jesus is my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.